This is The Forging of Men, a podcast to equip, enable, and empower the fathers of sons to raise their sons into the next great generation of men through faith, fitness, and outdoor adventure. Be a man, it's not going to be easy, especially in the culture we have now. Be the storm. Save your family. One of the main pillars of masculinity is self-mastery. It's not just, let me do it. It's, let me show you how to do it. When evil comes, evil's not looking for a fair fight. A lot of people weren't disciplined enough to like make the switch. The lack of a servant leader culture attached to masculinity is perhaps why there's so many marriages that fail as well. You would think of the word as relationships, as relationships with others, no, but you can't have a relationship with others until you're comfortable with the relationship with yourself. We're firing up the forge right now. Welcome back to The Forging of Men. I'm Josh Vagers, and I'm excited you chose to join us today. Make sure, if you aren't already, to follow us on Instagram, at Forging of Men. No dots, underscores, or spaces. Just one big word. And fathers out there, when you are out there adventuring with your son, make sure you let us know by using hashtag Forging of Men. Again, no dots, underscores, or spaces. Today is part one of a two-part series called The Pillars of Masculinity, where we'll start defining what authentic masculinity really looks like and how that contrasts against our current pop culture's definition of masculinity. I think that as fathers of sons, more accurately defining what masculinity is gives us a clearer path for raising our sons to be the next great generation of men through faith, fitness, and outdoor adventure. As Edwin Lewis Cole put it, being a male is a matter of birth. Being a man is a matter of choice. I think that part of what we are asked uh, to do as fathers is make good choices for ourselves, but also helping our sons learn how to make good choices as they grow from boys into men. To help me unpack all this today, I've asked two good friends to join me in the conversation about authentic masculinity. I admire both these guys, not only for their friendship, courage, and high standards of ethics, but also because they've done something that I have never had the opportunity to do yet, and that is to launch a son successfully into adulthood, something that I am still uh, a couple years away from having the opportunity to do. Maybe more. I guess we'll see. Matt and Jim, welcome to Forging a Men. Thanks for having us. Definitely. Thank you for having me here, Josh. So to provide a little context, I'd like for y'all both to tell us a little bit about yourselves and then some of the tools or organizations that have been helpful for you in crafting your boys into men. And uh, Jim, why don't we start with you? Uh, Well, so very simply, I am originally uh, a northerner down here in the south. So uh, our version of a country boy is significantly different than yours. Uh, We have more asphalt and concrete involved. That being said, trying to find opportunities for outdoor adventures, trying to find uh, opportunities to help build our boys is a little different. So I used uh, Boy Scouts, which was a very huge, um, very huge, that's a horrible combination of words, but it was a huge uh, push for our kids in providing them with opportunities to get outside to learn skill craft, but also to learn about a good moral base to jump off from. So Josh, I I think you were involved in scouts. Yeah, I was actually a professional scout at some point. I mean, it, it was, 
it runs deep in my blood. I was actually mentioning, it might have been to you or somebody else uh, yesterday, some of my earliest childhood memories actually come from Boy Scouts. And in particular, I remember as a tiger cub um, being like in a ditch and treating it like a trench. And there was some of us throwing dirt clods at others and mm -hmm. just, uh, you know, playing playing battle from the very earliest age, wearing that orange mid-80s uniform shirt. You got to have the uniform. and uh, But it pr provided us with a good base, right? So it's a trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, brave, clean, and reverent, right? And you lay out those 12 things. And if you get your kids, your sons, to follow that and use that as a platform to jump off to everything else, that, that's really, that was the biggest tool. The second biggest tool, having an awesome life. Mm, yeah, it's a good call partner in crime and partner mm -hmm. in craft and a, and a mother of boys is different in a lot of ways than a mother of a group of girls right matt i know your wife you guys play both sides right but it when it's just a boy house it's a whole different game so i've seen my wife climb climb out on a roof with a water gun and assault our kids in the yard right that's that kind of mentality that you have to use with the kids that's awesome and i'm looking at my own roof, trying to figure out how I could make that happen here as well. <laughs> I think it could be done. Matt, how about yourself? Uh, born and raised here in Tennessee. Um, and one of the biggest aids for me growing up uh, was the Catholic community as far as Camp Marymount here in town, in Fairview. It, uh, I spent every summer I was as, as a child because I grew up somewhat fatherless. So I grew up in the summer times there, spent my entire summertime. It's where I got my outlet. On top of the fact that I've got a bit of claustrophobia, so I've always been outdoor. Doesn't matter. From the time I was a kid, it was very, very limited indoor capabilities. It was always outside. Um, didn't have the opportunity for hunting per se, but I was definitely, my stepfather was a kayaker, a rock climber, a camper. So it rolled over with my boys. I've got, uh, got four boys and one daughter, as Jim alluded to earlier. Um, so keeping them active, I found through being a, just the fact that I'm always outdoor, they wanted to follow me and do what I did. So they were, my children are very outdoors as well. To an extent, I've got one that's got an allergy issue and skin problems. So he's, not as avid as what he wishes he could be. Mm -hmm. um, so he's more indoors than outdoors. But between we started sending our kids to Marymount, it's an outdoor camp, horseback riding, archery, rifle, hikes, you know, mountaineering. They do quite a few things as far as that aspect. And then being that I don't do indoor well, all of our vacations are always outdoor related. Everything we do, every trip we take. Um, another aspect that we've, that I have, as far as forging the boys, is the sports that they play. I've definitely been an avid uh, and been involved in every sport from the time they were kids. Um, and I take part in that as far as coaching them. I make it a point that I'm there with them not only on the sidelines as a father, but also coaching them. Uh, wrestling is a big one. I was a, started wrestling when I was an eight, eight years old. 
So all of my boys from my oldest, who's 24, to my youngest, who's eight, all four of them have participated and are still participating in that sport. And I coach them, you know, as they go along. Soccer is another sport. So, and here recently, via friends, hunting has become a part of my life. I thank you, Josh. I got you. <laughs> um, something I was never introduced to because of the kind of the lack of true fatherhood in my life. And it was not anything, even my stepfather, who was an avid outdoorsman, he was not a hunter. So he did not, it was not something that was ever passed on to me as far as being able to have access to that. But through friends and um, fraternity, that has been something. And it's, and it's amazing because a couple of my boys, actually one of my boys at this point, is extremely interested in it, and, and it is something that I was never able to give to him information because I had lack thereof. But now through you guys, it's been a massive aid in helping the relationship I have with my third son, who is totally, and <laughs> he is he is all in, all in. Yeah, hunting is interesting compared to some other sports because it is traditionally something that is. Um, Past paternally, father to son, generationally, over and over again. Very rarely do you see it passed um, as effectively from father to daughter, and even less do you see it passed from mother to son or daughter, both. Um, and so, unlike some other sports like wrestling, soccer, football, like there's all these resources sort of built in to the education system and um, some of the other, uh, you know, think things like YMCA or the rec center here in our county that provide those resources. And hunting is a family affair at its very core. So typically if a father doesn't pass it down to, to his son, it stops. And I was very fortunate that my dad hunted a little bit, but at a very early age saw that my desire and propensity to, to try it and, and maybe be decent at it. And so he, found other men who were great at it to like equip me and to teach me and to teach him as well. So it was really cool on the scope of our relationship. My dad helped me to shoot my first deer. And then it wasn't until 15 or maybe 18 years later, I found out that he had never actually shot one himself. And so I was able there to be able to help my dad shoot his first deer as well. And it was, it was a neat sort of full circle experience. So before we jump into defining those pillars of masculinity, I, I want to ask you another question. And I think that this will be a question that gets asked intermittently across this podcast for years to come. What do you think is the greatest challenge for men in today's culture? And in particular, what is the greatest challenge for men who are fathers of boys? So I guess I'll, I'll take a stab at it. I'll take a stab at it. Mm-hmm. I think the the biggest challenge for men in general is maintaining their identity. And by that, I mean not trying to be somebody else, right? You and I went hunting earlier this year. I got my first turkey. I would not classify myself as a hunter or an outdoorsman. You don't play golf. I do. Right, But you wouldn't classify yourself as a golfer. And I think what men tend to do in groups 
is they try to find a common ground in their conversation and we end up with a form of imposter syndrome while we're trying to relate to one man or another. It's the car conversation. Oh, yeah, I love that 1969 Chevy Camaro, whatever, right? I know nothing about the engines or the cars, right? But I'll sit there and nod and, oh, yeah, that's, a, that's, that's great. And I think that's a challenge for most men to be comfortable with themselves and, not, and maintain their own identity and not try to, to get outside of that. That being said, what's the challenge for boy raising boys? Mm-hmm. Teaching them how to do the same thing. Teaching them how to be comfortable in their own skin. And I'll use my two sons as an example. My older one is uh, more mathematically inclined. He is more gregarious. He is more of a social butterfly. My younger one, very smart in some ways much smarter than his brother, not as socially inclined. Still has a lot of those social skills, and he knows how to do it, but he has to work at it, right? That's a developed skill, not a natural skill. So between those two, when they get into a social environment, you can see how they're trying to fit in and then what skills they need to have to do that and while maintaining who they really are. And that's, that's a tough thing, particularly for young men where they're trying to still figure out who they are. Right. I I don't think I figured out who I was until I was somewhere in my thirties and became comfortable with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I think that's a really good point. And I think that there's very, very few men that I think would even be able to list like, Hey, these are my, these are my key identifiers, right? Like something, something that I've done just in the last probably six months is have been able to name pretty succinctly kind of what my key identifiers are. And then I've maintained those key identifiers across every Avenue, including my work, which at the time felt a bit risky. And I was actually impressed with, how much people were like, I love this. This is great. This is so cool. So, um, like I'm a man of faith, a husband, a father, an outdoorsman and a salesman in that order. Right. right? And I think it took me a while to arrive at that, but having those key identifiers, I think there's also got to be some degree of freedom for those things to modify and change. Cause once upon a time it was man of faith, husband, I didn't have any kids, musician, and that was that was it. Like it was three. So in some ways, I've I've put more on my plate, and some other ways, I've made my life a lot simpler because I think I tried to be a lot of things for a lot of people that just weren't natural for me. Um, and so, kind of taking ownership of, hey, this is who I am, has been really helpful. But to your point, that's hard to do if you're still trying to figure out what those things are. Like if you're not sure what you're good at and what you're bad at. If you're not sure what things bring you joy and like the number of young men who, when you say, Hey, are you an introvert or an extrovert? They're like, I don't know. That's a good question. And the answer can be both. Yeah. But that boils down to one of the pillars. One of the things that we're going to discuss. One of the, one of the main pillars of, of masculinity is self mastery, right? 
Mm-hmm. On top of self-mastery, it's relationships. But you would think of the word as relationships, as relationships with others. No, but the key is the relationship with yourself. You can't have a relationship with others until you have a relationship and you're comfortable with the relationship with yourself. And mm-hmm. if you can't even answer the question, am I an introvert or am I an, am I an extrovert, that means you have lack of, of a relationship with yourself, meaning you have a lack of knowledge of who you are. And that's you know, the answer to the question, in my mind, what is the, one of the biggest challenges that men in our culture have is the challenge of even knowing what a man is. So because of the lack thereof of a man or a figure in their life that even resembles what true man or what a true definition of man is. So how can you even be challenged if the first challenge is even knowing what it takes to be one, yeah. right? It's like starting a race and not knowing even what the finish line looks at, like much less where it is. Or where the starting line is. I mean, that's honestly, yeah. where's the starting line? Where's the finish line? Where's the track, mm-hmm. right? I mean, so if you don't even know where the track is, how are you supposed to, ra- to run the race? So then that being said, the biggest thing of fathering boys is that challenge goes into the same challenge of the question that's asked as far as what is a man how can you be a father if you don't know what it takes to be a man if you don't know yourself or have a relationship with yourself enough confidence and or knowledge of what you are and what you are meant to be and again, I think this is why the podcast is great and what the subject matter is that we're about to discuss is the pillars, the true pillars of masculinity and what it, you know, just some kind of breakdown of what the truth mm-hmm. of being a man is. And a lot of people lack that. A ton of people lack it. And that's why there's so many people that are confused right now. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I jotted down a quote that I saw earlier today. I was like, I don't know where this is going to fit in, but I just have an inkling that it's gonna somewhere. And I think that this is where it fits. It's a quote from Douglas Wilson that says, if boys don't learn, men won't know. And that's, that's it. Exactly. It's very true. Um, good stuff, guys. Let's, uh, let's take a stab now at, uh, sort of these pillars of masculinity. Um, when you think of masculinity, what are some of the attributes that immediately come to mind for y'all? Well, I think classically you would think um, the physical strength, physical prowess, right? Uh, those are the the classic ones that automatically. You say masculine, and and I've got a, a Greek statue of a wrestler or an Olympian in my head, right? That's where you start. But I don't know that that encompasses all of it. I think it also comes down to emotional intelligence, compassion. And those key, those are key to being, in my mind, truly masculine. There's being in touch with yourself exudes masculinity. That's my thought. But yeah, Matt, how about on your side of the fence? One of the biggest struggles, one of the biggest things that I find as far as tying in masculinity, I think that um, is. And it, for me, it's empathy, hmm. the ability to empathize, which is to feel. Because as a father, I think that is, you're, 
one of the biggest things I find that I am the most successful in any kind of conversation or conflict that my household has between whether it be between myself and my wife or myself and any number of one of my five children <laughs> is that to be masculine is to be able to stand firm with what you believe yet still be able to understand or feel what where they're coming from and then basically taking what you've as a man or a father have and to help them right without demeaning them without mm -hmm. screaming and i'm again there's no perfection here because i have this is still a something that i work hard at it's a 50 50 shot at each conflict i have whether or not i'm going to be that empathetic masculine man that i need to be or i'm going to be that young boy that essentially is throwing a temper tantrum at the age of 42. So, I mean, there, there, it's a, it's a balance, man. And, but to me, it's, I, I look at it as empathy, but then with empathy, there's accountability. Um, there's, I call it rebound. I don't know if there's a better word, but rebound. When I make my mistakes, which I make many of them, but when I make my mistakes, it's how I come back, right? Mm. How I rebound mm -hmm. from, my faults, my error. And a lot of people don't know that. That's, again, that boils down to accountability. But accountability, but how, what are you going to do? Once you make that error, once you make that mistake, what is it that you're going to do? How are you going to resolve or fix? How are you going to rebound from that? You can either shut down and walk away and never resolve it, no closure, or you can attack it head on and, and make amends for your mistakes because that's another thing that – men in this day and age do not do mm -hmm. often enough yeah you you baited me into another quote you just keep bringing them another, <laughs> another one of those i was like i bet this is going to be i bet this is going to be useful i don't know how yet but i bet it will and it's a, a quote from david gilmore it says uh manhood is the defeat of childhood narcissism um and i think that that actually lines up with uh uh something that our men's group pulled from uh the first end of the breach video. So uh, a little context for those of you that are listening. Part of the reason that I know these two gentlemen is we started a men's group about two years ago. And the very first study that we did was like a 10 to 12 part video series called into the breach. Uh, if you've not seen it before, do a search on YouTube for into the breach Knights of Columbus. That's Knights with a K the ones in the armor with the swords, not Knights of Columbus. Like, we're going to go to Columbus and wait until the stars come out. But go check out the, the Knights of Columbus Into the Breach videos. They're really, really great. And one of the things that they mentioned there in the very first episode is um, boys think of themselves and men think of others. Mm -hmm. And I think that lines up with that uh, particularly well. The, the other thing that I think both of y'all's comments kind of resonated with me. Um, Jim, you talking about the, the emotional intelligence and the being able to tap into that. And Matt, I think you talking about uh, self-mastery and then also the, the ability to empathize going into high-stress things. Uh, I, I jotted down four, when I was thinking about attributes of, of masculinity, I jotted down four things. And the first two we'll come back to. And the last two I wrote down, I struggled with. The first was servant. And then, and I kind of thought about, all right, like as a servant, like taking care of the family. 
and taking care of my wife and taking care of the house um, and taking care of myself. And then the, the other thing that I wrote down was leader and started thinking about that. And, and I felt like I had a hard time defining both of those things. And I realized it's because they are not two separate identities. It's actually one identity, which is servant leader. And I think that that is a part of masculinity, um, being a husband, being a father, that a lot of people have lost. Um, and I think that that resonates deeply with both of what y'all said. My tendency is a guy that was uh, born with a short fuse and kept that short fuse for all of my childhood and my youth and the better part of my adulthood. Uh, if I'm just looking out for myself, like I'm going to fly off the handle if I get angry or upset with somebody. And because I've tried to live into being a servant leader and living through that self-mastery, um, my older boys in particular that have seen me evolve through this will tell me that my tendency now is to more often than not say, let's find a spot to sit down and talk this out and uh, to set that example for them. And so it's serving by mastering my own temper and bringing that to the table and being a leader because I'm setting an example for them when they have their own kids to be able to say, this is how conflict resolution really works. Well, they, both those words, like you said, they combine together to create one entity, right? A servant leader. Um, but then again, you can, you can use the combination of words, lead by serving, serve to lead. I mean, you can, you can combo, combo it however you want. I, I teach my, so I, context, I own my own business, um, started it 10 years ago, successful, it works well. Uh, one of the biggest uh, things that I do to, to teach my boys or when they ask about, you know, having my own business and being uh, an entrepreneur or, or self-employed and how difficult or how hard is it to lead the guys that work for me. It's the company that I worked for before had a different aspect of leadership um, is to bark commands and walk away. And so I, I never found that that to be, I never found connected with that style of leadership bark commands walk away never felt it the right way to do things um he in the previous company i worked for they constantly ran through people and never kept a crew of of workers longer than a, a year max so one of the biggest things that I, I i learned about being leader when it came to start and starting my own business was that my role was to serve these guys not the other way around they didn't serve me they didn't do what I asked them to do. They did in the end, but it's through a different style of leadership, and that's how I explain to my kids. It's like I'm there to provide for you what you need to be able to better do your job, and that's what a leader and a true leader and a true business owner is there for, like if you're the owner of your own business, is you're not there for them to serve you and, and you walk away, bark commands and walk away, what can I give you to make sure that you can get this job accomplished to the best of your ability? Tell me, and I'll make sure it's there, right? And by doing that and leading that direction and leading in that way, it, the guys have stuck around. For a long, I've got the same guys for 10 years. I, I was about to ask, you said the turnover rate was about I've a got year the with same the company. I've got the same two sets of crews that I've had for 10 years. Wow. <laughs> since I started the business. And so... 
But tying that back into fatherhood, it's the same aspect. Um, I find it much that I find that it works so much better with my boys and my daughter in a way. I mean, to an extent, girls are girls and boys are boys. But that if I just tell them, do it because I said so, doesn't work as well as, hey, let's do this together or let me show you how this is done. Now, if I can do it, so can you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And so yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a leadership as far as a father that if I'm going to lead my family to heaven eventually, which is my goal, and I have to serve the same master that I expect them to serve. So if I'm not serving God correctly or I'm not serving in that manner, why should I expect to lead my kids in the same fashion. How can I expect them to follow that same pattern if I'm not patterning it within my own life? Yeah, I, I think you've got a good point there, and especially talking about how the old company that you worked for had that turnover, and by being a servant leader, you're able to maintain the same two crews of guys for a decade. I also think that perhaps the lack of a servant leader culture attached to masculinity is perhaps why there are so many marriages that fail as well. And I know that there's a, a, uh, a lot of folks that like to quote that whole, like, Hey, wives submit to your husbands, but you've got to follow up the verse that follows that, which is women. Uh, I'm sorry. When women love, uh, women submit to your husbands, but then the follow-up verse is, Men love your wives the way that Christ loved the church, and Christ died for the church. And so uh, there's a a sacrificial part of that that we're not living into that either in a lot of ways. So I think I think that 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 idea of um, ser- servant leader and making sure that you understand that you are there to serve and not to be served, setting that example. Um, and then the other thing that you mentioned that I thought was really important and dads, if you're listening, please hear me on this. Um, your sons will reach a point where saying, because I told you so, doesn't work anymore. Um, and that is straight up biblical. Um, you see it in the arc of the Old Testament into the New Testament. When they ask Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Uh, that's not an original thought. He's stealing that from Deuteronomy. It's actually the most popular verse in the Bible because it's quoted by the Jewish community, and it's also quoted by the Christian community. So it spans both of those Abrahamic religions. But Jesus tweaks it just the tiniest little bit because Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is heart, soul, and strength. And Jesus changes it to heart, soul, mind, and strength and sort of reaching that point of like, hey, people, people of earth, people of faith, it's no longer a because I told you so relationship. I want you to understand and that's what loving with your mind is all about. We're going to take a quick break right now and be tuned in for part two of the Pillars of Masculinity as we dive into the two most prominent typical, stereotypical, and often misunderstood aspects of what uh, traditional masculinity is and what that looks like now in modern society and for us fathers that are raising boys. Mm -hmm. 